Welcome to the ministry of Smyrna Presbyterian Church. Founded in 1914, Smyrna Presbyterian Church believes in the Bible as the Word of God and so desires to preach, teach, pray, and sing that Word so as to know Christ and make Him known in our community, country, and world. We invite you to join us in that mission. Worship services are every Sunday at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Here now is our pastor, the Reverend Joel Smith. Scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 2. If you'll turn there in your Bibles, we'll be looking at verses 11 and 12 today, but let's begin reading in verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. On the day of visitation. Amen. Please be seated. A few years ago I read a book and it was a story about a man named Chad Williams. Chad had a desire, a driving desire to be a part of the special forces within the military service. So he applied to be a sea, air, land specialist. Also known as a SEAL, a Navy SEAL. And the book talks about all that it takes to be such a seal. To be a seal, as you know, you need to be the top of the top. Only 6% of those that apply even qualify to go to the training. Then those that qualify, many if not most, do not or cannot complete all of the training in order to be a Navy SEAL. They either voluntarily leave by ringing the bell, which is the way to get out, or by not passing all of the tests and therefore dropped from the program. Out of the 173 who began the class with him, only 13 graduated. So in other words, less than 10% were pinned with that coveted Navy SEAL trident. But for Chad, this all-consuming passion to be a SEAL did not fulfill him as he thought it would. He said, in fact, after graduation, as he drove home, quote, the farther I drove and the deeper I reflected, the more let down I felt. I'd reached the mountaintop and there was no higher step to take. I'd reached as high as I could reach, accomplished everything I believed I could accomplish, only to discover that the view from the top disappointed me. Little did he know that this disappointment was being used by the Lord to draw him unto himself, and the Lord indeed did convert him. But he said then it was when the real trials for him began. His newfound faith in the Lord put him at odds with the fellow seals, 
He no longer could engage in the quote-unquote extracurricular activities like most SEALs engaged in. The drinking and the fighting and the sexual escapades. And as a result, his loyalty was called into question, even his ability to do that which he was called to do. He started to receive comments like this, if you won't do this with us, how do we know that you're not too good for us? Will you be able to pull the trigger if necessary? If you won't drink with us, how do we know that you're willing to cover our backs? Such was the pressure to conform. As a result, he was ostracized and even physically assaulted. Before Christ, he knew trials, at least physical, emotional, and mental ones. But it wasn't until coming to Christ did he begin to understand the spiritual trials and spiritual temptations, which were as trying, if not more so, than anything he had experienced before. Those that Peter is writing to in this epistle could relate They were experiencing the same and in increasing measure. Yet the call goes out to them to not give in or to compromise, but rather to have a holiness, a godliness, a life dedication that set them apart, to live in a way that was different. And as we read this passage, as Americans living in the 21st century, That calling has not changed, has it? We're to live our lives in a way that demonstrates the difference. And some of that difference is seen, but a lot of that difference is unseen and only known unto the Lord. And so I want to look at this passage in two points this morning. The call to internal heart holiness And second, the call to external life holiness. First, the call to internal heart holiness. As we've been looking at this passage, you must understand it again in its context. Because Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, because he is the essential stone, the rock and foundation upon which our life is now built, we have now, as Paul or Peter told us last week, We are now a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Let me ask you as you went through this week, and as we begin this morning, did you spend any time meditating on those things that are our new identities in Christ? Because this is who we truly are in Christ. That these qualifiers trump any other qualifiers or identifiers that we might have. And in fact, we must be known for these things. And these are the things that lead us to do that which we are called to do, which he goes on to say is to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. First Peter 2 verses 9 and 10 should be a life verse, so to speak. Everyone has a life verse these days, right? And most gravitate towards 
Jeremiah 29.11 or Philippians 4.13, but 1 Peter 2.9 and 10 is who we truly are in Christ, both individually and collectively. This is who we are, but as Peter says here, it's not who we were. Because we needed to be, as he says, called out of darkness. We needed to be called unto Jesus. We needed to have the light of Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world, shine upon us. And that's what Isaiah said Jesus would do, was it not? As he says in Isaiah 9, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. That great light, that marvelous light, as Peter puts it, is Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say in verse 10 that once you were not a people, but now you are a people. You are God's people. That you're not just any people. You are a holy people, a holy nation, a chosen race. And isn't it interesting that Peter here is speaking to Jews and Gentiles. And Paul in Ephesians says the exact same thing. He says, remember that once you were separated, that once you were alienated, once you were without hope, without God in the world, but he goes on to say, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have now been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. And how near have you been brought? You've been brought into the very family of God. Those are the kind of people you now are. You are God's people. You are a part of God's family. And he goes on to say, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And we've received mercy upon mercy, grace upon grace, because we have received Christ and in him have received all things. All things that we do not deserve. And we no longer receive that which we do deserve. And that is mercy. That is grace. And that grace is because of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been called out. We've been plucked out. We've been redeemed. We've been saved from the kingdom of darkness and have brought into the kingdom of his son. And therefore we are now citizens of That kingdom. And so that is why when we come to verse 11, Peter again calls them sojourners and exiles. Remember, he called them this way at the very beginning. In chapter 1, verse 1, he calls them elect exiles. Because they were spiritual exiles. They were spiritual sojourners because of who they are in Christ. And therefore, Peter is saying to this, those that he writes to and to us as well, do not be surprised that you are outsiders and that you are experiencing persecution as a result. You're experiencing this because this is no longer your home, that you are foreigners. That you no longer fit this culture. And that is not only true then, that is true today, is it not? 
that this is still the call of God upon our life. This is the call of scriptures, indeed all of scriptures, to have this wholehearted, whole life dedication to the Lord Jesus Christ that we can no longer have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of Christ. That we cannot straddle the fence. We cannot wear two jerseys at the same time. And admittedly, that is difficult for us, is it not? And how many Christians struggle with that fact? How much of our life do we try to get into that inner circle? Whatever we would define as that inner circle. That social peer group or that, 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 that inner circle of business colleagues. And what lengths, what depths will we be willing to go in to be received, to be accepted? Will we be willing to compromise even some of our morals? Will we be able to kind of fudge a little bit on the way that we speak, the way that we talk, perhaps even the way that we dress so that we'll be more readily accepted? Because quite frankly, it's easier to conform than it is to be different. It is to be distinct. Because quite frankly, we don't want to stand out. We don't want to stand out at least as different. We want to go with the flow. Fit in with the cultural and the cultural norms around us. But what Peter is saying here to us is, don't you see that you are already different? You're already distinct entirely. Your whole identity, your whole purpose in life has been changed. You have an allegiance to a different king. You have an allegiance to a different kingdom. And this, as a result, marks us out that there is this marked change. There is this marked difference in the entirety of your life. And that difference comes from the inside out. It begins with a new heart, a new heart that's been given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ and by his Holy Spirit. And because we have this new heart, Peter says that we are to abstain from the passions of the flesh. You see that there in verse 11, do you not? What does he mean by the passions of the flesh? Well, obviously sexual sins are probably the first things that come to our mind. And that is true in a world of sexual gratification of all kinds. Our sexual conduct is not to be shaped by this world, but by the words of Scripture. Paul tells us, I think, very clearly what are the passions of the flesh when he says in Galatians 5, verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. And he begins this way with sexual immorality. And like I said, that's where we first think, but he goes on to say also sexual impurity and sensuality. He says it's not just sexual acts that we're not to engage in. And we're not to even be a part of sexual impurity. We're not to be engaged in sensuality. And we're not to even set our hearts and our minds upon those things. We're not to put 
our eyes and gaze upon these things that have become so much the norm in our culture. The passions of the flesh are the new form of entertainment, are they not? Both in TV and in the movies. This passage would say that these forms are to be abstained from. Not to be engaged in, not to be entertained by, but to abstain from them. Because Peter knows the heart of man. And obviously it's the Holy Spirit that is speaking through Peter who knows the heart of man better than any man himself. That's even in this new purpose, this new identity, we still have this natural tendency, this natural draw to gravitate not towards that which is good and godly, but to gravitate towards that which is fleshly. That the direction of our mind and heart is always downward and not upward as it should. And that's why he's saying, abstain from it. Do not engage in it because that is where our heart naturally wants to go towards these things. And we want to engage in that which is good and godly and right and pleasing to the Lord. Paul goes on to say that the passions of the flesh are more than just sexual. He says that hatred and selfish ambitions, jealousy, anger, drunkenness, quarreling, fighting... All of these are passions of the flesh. All areas where our thoughts and emotions and actions are not controlled by the Spirit. Anything that goes against or are at odds with the fruits of the Spirit. It's where selfishness and self-indulgence reigns rather than God-honoring, Christ-exalting words, thoughts, and deeds. And when we define passions of the flesh in that way, then each and every one of us needs to confess there is much of that still within us. So many ways that we fall into the patterns of this world. And each one of us This morning, if we are honest, have to confess the blindness of our understanding, the stubbornness of our wills, the vanity of our thoughts, the lust of our affections, the pridefulness of our hearts, and the corruption of our whole being. And that's just for starts. And you might be saying, Hold up, Pastor. Last week you were saying from that there pulpit that we are chosen, that we are holy, that we are royal, that we are His very own. And now this week you're calling us sinners. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Well, why is that? Or how is that? Well, as... Luther put it, we are indeed simultaneously sinners and saints. But yes, we are just and we are righteous and we are holy in Christ. All of those are true. 
But yet in this life, we are still becoming that which we already are. And as a result, we are dying to self. We are dying to that old nature that needs to be put away. That we are continually putting that off so that we can put on godliness, so that we can put on right conducts. We must recognize that in that life, that transition from the old man to the new will never be complete until the day of redemption. But the difference is, is that we are to never be okay with our sin. Never. We're never to be all right with our lust and our pride and our hatred and our selfish ambition. All those passions of the flesh, but we are to do battle against them. Daily battle. And that is what Peter is saying here. Notice that. He says, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Do you understand, beloved, that you are engaged in a war, that you are engaged in a real life struggle? Paul, I think, summarizes this struggle for us in Romans 7, verse 29, when he says, for I do not do the good I want. But the evil I do not want is that which I keep on doing. He goes on to say, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Can you relate to that? Can you read that passage from Paul and say, yes, that's me. That's my experience. That is my daily battle. I want to do good, but the good that I want to do is oftentimes that which I do not do. And quite frankly, that is exhausting, isn't it? And that's why Paul at the very end of that section says, Wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? When he looks at himself, he sees only death and he wants to be freed from that so that he can praise God as he should. And Paul goes on to give the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. But I want you to understand that that is the Christian life. That is the Christian struggle. Those preachers that preach that if you come to Christ, all your problems will be over are preaching a false gospel. And if not a false gospel, at least a false experience. Because many ways, it's when you come to Christ that your problems begin. It's easy to float down the river. It's hard to swim upstream. And indeed, we're swimming against the current, the current of this world, the flesh, and the devil. The unholy trinity, as I call it. And they are waging war against you. Notice that. They wage war against your soul. But it's in that struggle, it is in that battle that we are continually brought back to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the answer, who is the fulfillment. But that war, that battle is the Christian life. Many wars in history have been called holy wars. But this is the true holy war. And it's not against Muslims. It's not against atheists. It's not against the pagans down the street. It's not against culture, is it? The holy war is taking place right in here. It's taking place right in our hearts. As we put to death the old man. As John Owen so famously put it, 
You must be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And that is absolutely true. This passage is a call to arms. It's a call to action. And it's difficult. It's hard. It's exhausting. That's why I hope you begin each morning on your knees asking for the Holy Spirit. Asking to put on the full spiritual armor so as to battle. But not to battle in your own strength, but to battle in the strength that the Lord would give to you. And that you're gathering others around you. That you're not trying to fight this war by yourself. That you're asking for help. You're asking for prayer. You're even asking for accountability. You're asking for your your spouse to hold you accountable to these things. These things that you know are right and true and that which you want to do. You're asking good brothers or sisters in the Lord to hold your feet to the fire. But notice, we must heed these warnings. We must heed these warnings like we heed other warnings. If I told you this day that you have some cheese or some spinach in your fridge that's been recalled. Because it's contaminated with E. coli or salmonella. Each one of you would go immediately home. Put on probably gloves. Perhaps a mask. You would hold it like this while putting it into a bag and then you would double or triple bag it and you would bring it outside to the dumpster, wouldn't you? And you'd tell all of your children not to go anywhere near that food. If we will do that for our physical health, to what lengths will we also go for our spiritual health, which is far greater for sure? But oftentimes we don't, do we? We don't heed these spiritual warnings. We think, well, it's, it's probably not that bad. Where are those comforting scriptures? Because I don't really like to think too much about these scriptures that warn us. Because quite frankly, they're convicting. But we need both, don't we? We need the comfort of scriptures and we also need the conviction of scriptures. One of my mentors often told me, and I'm sure he got it from somewhere else, that good preaching comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. And we need both of those, do we not? We need warnings, the warnings of Scripture, and that is what Peter is warning us here. This is spiritual E. coli. Stay away. My wife recently got a a bad case of, of poison ivy. And as a result, all of us in the family are that much more vigilant when we go outside. And again, that is what Peter is saying here. This is spiritual poisoning. These are wicked weeds that desire to choke out the spiritual life in your heart and soul. And you must battle it. You must uproot it. You must not allow it to remain. You may not have it be okay in your life. We need to be diligent. We need to be vigilant. Is that how you see your life as you go about it? And so let me ask you this morning, what areas in your life have you grown a little too accustomed to the things of this world? What ways have you made yourself a home 
in this world. Rather, in the ways of God. What ways have you tried to fit in, to be accepted? And knowing to be accepted, you, you have to kind of take some of these things and, and just kind of push them aside just a little bit, just a little bit. So that you'll be that much more tolerable in the eyes of some. What passions of the flesh have you allowed to remain and endure, to sprout up? Have you laid down your arms? Have you waved the white flag? If so, this passage would call us to engage again, back into the battle. Perhaps the sin that you're struggling with is private, unknown to anyone else. But let me tell you, it's known to God, and that is enough. So today is the day of of repentance. But today is also the day of forgiveness in Christ. As he comes to us with his grace and his mercy. He doesn't treat us with disgust or disdain. He tells us to come unto him again. Come into the light. Come out of the darkness. Understand that those things are not the things that are good. But are the things that are harming you. He would say that I urge you as outsiders to be set apart in your holiness, to abstain from the passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul. And then it's that internal heart holiness that will lead to external life holiness. And these two always go together, do they not? That yes, the passions of the flesh can be very much external and outward. But they come from where? They come from within. Our, our, our bodies cannot act on their own. Our hands and our feet and our eyes only act on the impulses of our heart and our mind. And so, if we're to keep our outward conduct honorable, as Peter says here in verse 12, and our hearts have to be right before the Lord. Because what's on the inside will come out. And it begins there. And we're not to be of the world. But as Jesus says, we are to be very much in the world still. To be in the world, but not of the world. And such, our lives, our actions, are to be such that that do not bring disrepute to ourselves, and more importantly to the God that we worship and serve. That's why in officer election, even in officer nomination, as we are in that period right now, and I hope you're thinking about who you are to to nominate as elders and deacons, one of the qualifications for an officer is that they be above reproach. Now that doesn't mean sinless, because that would disqualify all of us. But it's to mean that they are not to do anything that would bring shame on the faith that they profess. That they have a mark standard in their life. And Peter is saying that's the calling for all of us to live in such a way that even as it says when they speak against you as evildoers, that they have nothing, that they have no fodder. It's empty words. It's, it's blank bullets that clearly have no weight and, and no merit to them. Because we know how they will act. 
right? They will act according to the passions of the flesh. They are acting in the only manner in which they know. In evil dissension and hatred and selfish ambition. But we are not to return like kind. We are not to stoop to their level. Paul says something very similar to his young protege, Timothy. In 1 Timothy 4, for Peter is, or excuse me, Paul is, is, is knowing that those that Timothy has to deal with. He says that they are liars whose conscience are seared. And yet, he says this to Timothy, set an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that you may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. In so doing, you'll save yourself and your hearers. Notice what Paul is saying there. How are you to deal with these lies? How are you to deal with this evil behavior of those on the outside? Are you to return like kind, evil for evil, words for words? He says, watch yourself. Keep a watch over yourself. Set an example in all areas of your life. And Peter says the same here. Conduct yourself among the Gentiles as honorable. And notice he's he's speaking to Many Gentiles here. So you're, you're no longer to be a Gentile in a sense. Because you have a new identity in Christ. And live in such a way that sh- demonstrates that. That shows yourself to be honorable. So that, as he goes on to say, they may see your good deeds. And glorify God in the day of visitation. That they may see the difference in your life. In your conduct. In your marriage, in your family, in your life. And they need to ask, why is that? Why is there something different about you? There's something that you have that I do not. And as a result comes forth the difference. That it's Christ who is the difference in our lives. And this might be, and I know it is, a challenging word to each and every one of us, and it should be. And there's many that might say, well, you know, does that really work today? I understand it works back when Peter wrote this, but, but does this work in the 21st century? Remember again who Peter is writing to. He is writing to those that are experiencing persecution because of their faith. And if you think there would be any time that Peter might allow anyone to just compromise just a little bit, given their cultural circumstances. If they could just, you know, relax their standards, if they could just, you know, relax their godliness, and for for them to just give in just slightly, to cave, so as to not be persecuted, it would be those to whom Peter is writing. That is not what Peter is saying, is he? He's saying abstain from these things. Have no part in these ways and manners of the world. Abstain from sin and conduct yourself in godliness and in holiness. And again, we might take this as a, a harsh word, but notice the very beginning here, how Peter addresses them. He calls them beloved. 
beloved in the beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter speaks to them as a father would speak to his children. Warning them, yes, but warning them in love. Just as you would warn your children or your grandchildren and say, don't do this. Instead, do that. Why do we do that? We don't do that because we despise our children, do we? We don't do it to be harsh for harsh sake. We don't do it to be strict for strict sake. We do it because we know that is what is best for our children. And so, take this word this day. As the word of your heavenly Father, who says to us, beloved, pay attention, heed this. Know of these dangers that are not only out there, but that are in here. And battle against them. Abstain from them. Keep your conduct honorable. For this is what is well-pleasing to your Father and that which is good for you. This morning, may we take such guidance, even such correction, from our Heavenly Father. And may we see how He uses it in our lives and even may use it in the lives of others so that they would come and know of that same Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, in many ways we are rebuked this morning knowing that there is much of the old nature that yet remains. Much of the passions of the flesh that rear their ugly head in our hearts and in our minds and come forth in our conduct. Lord, we pray that we would put those things off, that we would repent of them, that we'd ask for your forgiveness. And Lord, we know that in you there is ample forgiveness. So may we come and receive that cleansing and the forgiveness of our sins. And Lord, then send us out again to live in a way that would demonstrate that there is a difference in our lives, that we conduct ourselves in an honorable manner so that we would glorify God and that even others would join in, join in that glorification to proclaim the excellencies of you who have called us out of darkness and have called us into your marvelous light. Lord, we desire to dwell in the light. We pray and ask that you'd help us through your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.